This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Sheppardville Mills Baptist Church. Well, I'm here in the studio today with uh, Brother John O. Sims again, and we wanted to just take the opportunity today and use this as a chance to let the listeners get to know you a little bit better, Brother John O. And, uh, and so, so today we were going to talk about your testimony of conversion. And uh, yours, your testimony uh, has been, is one that the Lord has, and you've mentioned this before from the pulpit and in conversation, that the Lord has used this one several times uh, to bring others to faith in Jesus Christ. And obviously our prayer is that the Lord would do that even in this podcast today. So I was just hoping that we could start off by talking a little bit about your own background, your spiritual background. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what were things like for you before conversion? What kind of household did you grow up and things like that? I say it all the time. I had the dream upbringing. Um, I had loving grandparents and great-grandparents. I had loving parents. They were all in my life. We were all geographically close together. And I was doted upon and loved and hugged and kissed and, you know, just uh, had a great, great family, great upbringing. I never remember hearing or seeing anything, you know, improper. And I know a lot of kids go through a lot of horrible things. And I am just so grateful to God that I never had anything like that. Um, All of my great-grandparents, grandparents, parents were just great people and I was raised in a Christian home uh, very very thankful for that albeit you know Baptist churches weren't very very healthy when I was coming up Um, but there was enough of the gospel preached thank the Lord in those churches to show me that I was a sinner in need of Christ and from the earliest days I can remember Um, I knew there was a God. I knew he had a son named Jesus. And I knew that the saved went to heaven and the lost went to hell and uh, lived a long time of my life knowing I was a part of that lost crowd. But I'm very thankful that my churches that I was a part of growing up taught me uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my parents taught that and they lived it in front of me. They were exemplary Christians, model Christians. Um, My mom's with the Lord now, but my dad is still uh, a great model for me, one of my best friends. And I'm very, very thankful that I was raised in a Christian home and taught that the Bible was the Word of God. I mean, that was just thundered in my life, that the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. And my churches did that too, and I'm thankful for that. So I'm glad that I was raised in a home that pointed me to Jesus Christ, and they did that very, very clearly. Some people are able to actually pinpoint to the day, time, and minute uh, the point of their conversion. And forgive me, brother, I've forgotten. I know you were able to do that with regards to your call to preach, but was it kind of the same for you with your conversion experience? It is only because I was older, (laughs) and I know we'll talk about that in a moment. But for me, it was February the 16th of 1990 when I was converted, and I was 25 years old. And so that's why I remember it. I'm not saying a person has to be able to tell you the exact minute and the exact date, uh, 
But for me, that's the case because at 25 years old, you know, it was life-changing, life-altering, and I'll never forget that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do want to say that that's what I believe about conversion, Mm -hmm. that there's one moment when you're lost, and then there's one moment when you're saved, and it's that radical of a change. There's a point in time when a birth takes place, and we become born again. That's right. That's why Jesus uses that language in John 3. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that led up to it. I believe, like myself, you made a false profession of faith when you were a child. I actually made two. Um, When I was about eight or nine years old, the churches of the Colbert Lauderdale Baptist Association in northwest Alabama held a Bob Harrington crusade. Mm -hmm. He used to be uh, one of these crusade evangelist like Billy Graham and mm. Kelly Green and, and those type people. And he came in and held a area-wide crusade. And my mom and my dad were in the choir that sang at that crusade, so we went every night. And I remember it was the last night of that crusade, and me and one of my <clears throat> elementary school buddies had been playing with Hot Wheels cars on the little stadium seats there in that Coliseum. And they gave the invitation, you know, Baptist so big on a walk forward invitation. And all these people started going forward. And and my friend Todd said, hey, let's go forward. Let's go see what's going on. And we walked down. And before I knew it, a man was congratulating me on being saved. And I had no clue what he was talking about. And then when I was about 15 years old, in my home church, we had an evangelist that came in, and he preached a, a sermon on hell, and I'm for that, 100% for it. Um, but I was just scared of going to hell, and so I made another um, profession of faith at age 15. But the, the thing is that, and both of those times I was baptized after mm-hmm. those con- confessions of faith, professions mm-hmm. of faith, Baptists would call it, my life never changed. Mm. Um, it, it, the, the same evil fruit that it bore before, mm-hmm. it bore after those professions of faith. And, you know, Jesus said, by their fruits you will know them. Mm-hmm. And a good tree doesn't bring forth evil fruit, and an evil tree doesn't bring forth good fruit. And so even though I made two professions of faith and was baptized, I was still lost. I knew it. My life never changed. There was never any evidence of genuine conversion. Mm, Well, maybe before we get too far off topic of this too, obviously we don't agree with the man-centered, manipulative tactics that are often employed by what was kind of once known as the circuit preacher or the circuit evangelist, but I believe we've also seen that the Lord has used it at times, Uh, but Talk about that maybe just for a moment before we get into your actual point of conversion. What are your thoughts on some of those old methods, we might call them? Well, I would just say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Mm. And thanks be unto God that God is sovereign enough. Now, it doesn't give a guy a get-out-of-jail-free card on shoddy evangelism, (laughs) but the fact is that God is God enough and the Holy Spirit's God enough Hmm. to use even a meager gospel witness sometime to 
convince a man of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Hmm. And so while I don't agree with those man-centered methods, um, because I believe in part that led me to make two false professions of faith, hmm. I, I do know of a lot of people mm-hmm. that have been genuinely wrought of God and genuinely born again in unhealthy churches or in unhealthy evangelistic meetings. It all comes down to the Spirit of God and being mm-hmm. born again and mm-hmm. quickened and drawn and made a new creature. Amen. And God is is able to uh, do that even in spite of, you know, bad methods. <laughs> Thank the Lord. <laughs> Amen. So at age 15, you've made a false profession of faith and kind of scared out of hell, so to speak. Right. Um, how long was it? What did the Lord use to finally break you? Well, it was 10 years, brother, from mm-hmm. that day, from age 15 till age 25 when I was converted. And uh, I can tell you that Every day of my life, I was under the oppressive hand of God. Mm -hmm. It was so, um, I was trying my best to enjoy sin, but I always heard the voice of God, the voice of the Son of God in my heart and in my mind. I knew there was a God, and I knew I wasn't right with him, and I knew I was living my life under his frown. And I lived that way, like I said, for 10 years. And I don't want to glorify Satan today. Uh, A lot of testimonies you hear go into gory details of sin. But, brother, you name it pretty much during that 10-year period, and I did it. And I just seemed to plunge deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And the kind of sin that 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, no one who does these things will inherit the kingdom of God. Liars and fornicators and drunkards and idolaters and all the things that it mentions there, I have the badge of wearing many of those. And so it was a a, a very, very dark time in my life where I was just trying every way I could to fill my life with every vice and sin. It's a wonder I didn't destroy my life completely. Mm It's a testament to the restraining, um, protective hand of God that I didn't. Mm. And so for that period there, my life bore nothing but wicked fruit. When you read Galatians 5 and it, it lists those fruits of the flesh before it lists the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit were not there. Mm. But the, those fruits of the flesh were there. Mm. And this went on from age 15 till age 25. And you know the funny thing about it, every time, brother, without exception, that I would be around or under um, good, solid Bible preaching, I would come under deep conviction. I remember one time uh, Kayla and I were already married, and we were members at North Village Baptist Church in Florence, Alabama. Roger Martis was the pastor. And Roger had Donnie Singleton over for a week-long revival. And I remember sitting out there one night. Brother Don was preaching uh, the Word of God. And I was just under such conviction. I was just weeping, just crying. But I wouldn't surrender. I wouldn't yield. I, 
I, I just, I'm the old adage of the guy with his hands on the back of the pew, just grip down. That was me. And the Holy Spirit was so at work. And then I mentioned Kelly Green. I remember mm-hmm. we had a Kelly Green uh, area-wide crusade, and I was playing the trumpet, and I was in the orchestra. And every night when Kelly Green would, would preach, I was just under unbelievably deep conviction of my sin. The heavy hand of God mm-hmm. was on my heart and on my mind about my sin. And I went to my pastor at that time, Roger Martis, and Roger's a, a godly man. I love him. He's still a friend till this day. And Roger preached the word, and he was a good expositor. And you, we talked about expository preaching last week. He's one of those pastors that I mm-hmm. mentioned I learned how to preach expositorily from. Mm-hmm. And I went to Brother Roger, and I, I shared with him that I was really, really doubting my salvation, that I was really, really struggling. And he recommended to me what would be the life changer. He said, Brother, you need to read the book of First John. Yep. And immediately I began to do that. And, you know, I was thinking about this because I knew you were going to ask me about my testimony. I could almost bring my conversion down to a tense of a verb. In First John, the King James Version uses that mm-hmm. suffix, E-T-H, mm-hmm. and he talks about, Whoever committeth Mm -hmm. sin is of the devil. Um, Whosoever committeth sin, um, it says, is not born of God. Mm -hmm. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. And those present tense verbs speak of a practice, Mm -hmm. an ongoing (laughs) practice. And I was reading just this morning... uh, a more modern translation, it says in 1 John 3, 4 through 10, everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Mm -hmm. And no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. He says, little children, don't let anyone deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Mm -hmm. And then he says, this is how we know the children of God and the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That was me. As I looked at my life and compared it to Scripture, my life was one of a habitual practice of sin. And Kayla always says it this way. I call Kayla my shoe-leather theologian. She has a way of just putting things in common terms so you can understand them. She said a person's got to get lost before they can get saved. Amen. And, you know, I, I couldn't admit I was lost. I was, I was a good Baptist, you know. I went to church. I'd made two professions of faith. I'd been baptized. I was kind of the, the, the Baptist version of Eddie Haskell. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. Polite, kind, friendly, thoughtful, articulate, knew how to speak, knew how to converse with adults. And everybody just thought I was Billy Baptist, you know, just, just, just a great little saved kid. But I knew it was a sham and in, in my heart. I was living a double life. I was putting forth the image outwardly that I was a Christian, but I was a practicer of sin. I I was one of those committing sin as a lifestyle. And uh, Kayla and I had left North Village Baptist Church, and I actually took, at this time, a youth director position at First Baptist Church Center Star, Alabama. 
And the pastor there at that time invited me to go to a Bible conference with him over in Marietta, Georgia. And I'll just tell you, it was a Bailey Smith Real Evangelism Conference. And uh, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier. While we love Bailey, might not agree with him on all methods and whatnot, but the gospel was preached there that night. And a faithful gospel preacher got up and preached the word of God. And I was under deep conviction. And Kayla's dad was with me and my pastor was with me. And I just told Kayla's dad, can I have the keys to the van? I, I just need to go out and think. And I went out there and I thought, I'm just going to lay down and take a nap. And that's another thing. I knew how to coach myself because I knew biblical language and I knew biblical terminology. I knew how to quote all the eternal security passages to myself and counsel myself out of conviction, so to speak. And I could get better for a while, you know, and make myself feel better. And I thought, well, that's what I'll do. And I went out there to that van and brother like Jacob, I wrestled with God. I'm telling you, the war was on. The fight was on. I was absolutely miserable, scared to death at my wits' end. And, Brother Joe, all I know to tell you is that, Brother, I came to a point of surrender. Amen. And if you made me stew my understanding of salvation down to one word, that would be it, surrender. And I just remember that day thinking, I'm a deacon. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm my pastor's right-hand man, and I'm a paid youth director at a church. You know, uh, and all those thoughts go through your mind about protecting your image. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I just remember thinking, I'm not going to go to hell over being a deacon. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to go to hell over being a paid youth director. Mm-hmm. And I just came to a point of surrender, brother, and I just remember mm-hmm. crying out to God. I, I, this is all I knew to do. And I just said, Lord Jesus, I, I, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost. And I want to give you my life. I want to live the rest of my life for you. I'm not going to hold anything back. I want you to come and save me and be the Lord of my life and and maybe I didn't understand it all then, but I, I remember distinctly telling the Lord, I make a commitment today to follow you for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I will follow you for the rest of my life. And all I can tell you, brother, is that it was instant and immediate for me, the relief mm-hmm. and the release. I left that van a different man. I left unburdened. I left free. I left change, and I'm telling you, this very moment, sitting at this table, looking straight across at you, it's still my experience. Mm-hmm. The same thing I felt that day I, I'm experiencing right now, mm-hmm. peace with God, mm-hmm. assurance that I know I'm a child of God, that I've been saved, that I've been born again. Since that day, I've never seriously considered myself unsaved or seriously struggled with doubts about my salvation since that day. Mm. There's been a peace and a comfort and a joy in Christ that has never left me since that point of surrender. And brother, I can only tell you that from that point right there, my life radically changed. Mm. Um, I went home that night and I wish Kayla was here to tell her side of the story. (laughs) Um, it's very hard for me not to be emotional, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she says, when you walked through the door, I knew you were different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
She said, I didn't know what had happened, but I knew something major had happened. Mm. And when we walked through the door, Kayla said, said, what is it? And I said, well, I need to talk to you. Mm. And we were at her parents' house, like I said, over in Marietta, Georgia, from that conference. And we went back to a back room, and I told her I'd been saved. And, I mean, she wouldn't even let me say another word. She said, I want to be saved. Mm. And Kayla had struggled with her salvation as well. And so the first person that I ever got to share the gospel mm-hmm. with and see come to Christ was my wife. Mm-hmm. That Sunday, um, I stood in front of the church where I was a paid youth director and told them that I had been lost in my sins. Kayla stood beside me. We both confessed our faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm not God. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that morning, about 17, 18 church members came forward and said, mm-hmm. that's me. Amen. Pastor, that's me. I, I am just like John O. I, I've been pretending. I know I've not been saved. And from that day forward, it just touched off a, a series of those kinds of things. I sold life insurance for MetLife, Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. And, and I'd go into a guy's house, and, and instead of selling him life insurance, I'd end up sharing the gospel with him and I had so many people saved, you know, that, that, that came to know Christ through that. And, um, you know, Roger Martis, my pastor friend I was telling you about, mm-hmm. Kayla and I uh, at that time, and maybe we can talk about this next time about my call to ministry. I was feeling called to ministry, and we drove over to Mid-America, to Mid-America Baptist Seminary there in Memphis, to spend the night with Roger and Michelle to tour the seminary the day, next day to pray about if that might be um, where I end up going, and it wasn't, but at the time we were praying about that. And that night, Roger had heard that I had been saved, and he just said, Brother, just tell us what happened. I, I'm interested to know. And so I just unpacked for him what I've just unpacked for you. And that night, Michelle was saved, mm-hmm. his wife, mm-hmm. pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would almost say that this has become a benchmark, a hallmark of my ministry. Mm-hmm is that I'm almost convinced that a large part of my mm-hmm. pastoral ministry has been calling lost church members to repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you, brother, the numbers of church members. Even here at Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church, that over 21 years have been saved that are just like me. And I think it is because of that faulty Mm -hmm. evangelism and faulty gospel and methodology that we've taught of just Mm -hmm. pray this prayer and repeat these words and you'll be saved. A lot of people have prayed those prayers and repeated those words just like I did twice and even been baptized, but they've never been born again, never been born of the Spirit. Mm. And brother, the bottom line is this. When you're born again, I'm not saying you're perfect, but the Bible says when you're born again, your life will bear Mm -hmm. righteous fruit. Mm -hmm. And that's impossible for a lost man. Mm -hmm. I tried for 25 years, (laughs) and it cannot be done. Mm -hmm. But what is impossible without the Spirit is effortless Mm -hmm. with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Once we're born again, God begins to manifest those spiritual fruits in our lives. And, you know, I might, just for the record... My son-in-law, Josh, was sitting off my left shoulder. He's recording this podcast. And he and my daughter, Amy, 
were both converted here at Shelbyville Mills when they heard me share my testimony a few years back. Mm -hmm. That's just an example of how God has used this through the years. Amen. And before we get away too far from that, I'm thinking about how many people today are in churches just like you were. Maybe they're Sunday school teachers. Maybe they're deacons. They could be pastors, pastors' wives that have never truly been born again, born from above. And just like you, maybe they know the lingo. Maybe they've fallen for the lie that somebody else has said that, oh, well, you know, there was a time of quote unquote being a carnal Christian or something to that effect or some other nonsense. And so they counsel themselves out of the conviction that's very real when they're reading or hearing uh, a message preached. What would you say to somebody like that? Before I was converted, I would go out on visitation with Roger Martis and Gene Tackett, and we would knock on people's doors, the three of us. And I listened more than I talked because I was struggling with my conversion, and they didn't know that. And I can't tell you the numbers of times I heard them when we, we, we would go into a person's home, they'd say to him, you must be born again. And that just troubled me. I would walk out of the th- what, what does that mean? You know, I've prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I, I, I've confessed, you know, uh, Jesus as my Savior. What do they mean by born again? Here's all I can tell you. February the 16th, 1990, when I was born again, I knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. And, and I know what it means right now. Mm-hmm. And when you're born again, you know. <laughs> when you're born of the Spirit, you know what it means to be born again. And I would just say to anyone out there that knows about Jesus, and by the way, we're doing this podcast, which is targeted toward pastors and church leaders and church people, and that's for a reason. Because I, I, I dare say there's pastors listening to this right now that need to be saved, pastors' wives, deacons, church members. Here's what I would say to you. Surrender. Amen. Just knowing about Christ doesn't mean you know Christ. Mm-hmm. Being able to quote verses of Scripture, I'll promise you, Kayla can tell you, nobody had more devotional and quiet times than I had. Every morning, got up, read my Bible, prayed. But I was doing it more out of guilt and trying to attain the favor of God rather than yielding and surrendering, rather than repenting and turning to Jesus Christ as Lord. So I would just say there's a lot of people, brother, that may know a lot about him and may know the lingo and may be in church and may know the terminology. But the Bible says search the Scriptures to see if you're in Christ unless you be reprobate. Mm. And as you hear this, I would challenge you to read the book of 1 John and pay very, very close attention to the third chapter. Mm. 1 John chapter 3 is what the Holy Spirit used to birth me and and bring me to the born-again place where I am now. And... I would just challenge you to read the book of 1 John and don't hide from it. Deal with what God's Spirit uh, does in your heart in reality and don't be afraid of facing the possibility that you may need to be saved if that's the case. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Surrender. Yield. Come to Christ. Mm -hmm. Be born again. Be born from above. Be born of the Spirit. Amen. And since this is a podcast that's pretty much directed, geared towards pastors, too. I was thinking about the example that we saw in Brother Roger there. And uh, when you came to him under that type of deep conviction, he didn't tell you 
to point and look yourself backwards to uh, a past event. He didn't try to put your assurance in your baptisms, right? Uh, nor in your walk in the aisle or saying a prayer or the fact that you're a deacon or the fact that you're serving the Lord. He pointed you to the Word. Thank God. And and what would you say to a pastor then who's got people coming to him wrestling with their salvation and wrestling with assurance, maybe even sitting in a false assurance? I don't believe it's my job to give people assurance of their salvation. For years, I had everybody convinced that I was saved except God. And the funny thing about it is I couldn't convince God I was saved. Mm. I had the thing whole, I had it backwards. We shouldn't be trying to convince God we're saved. That's the work of the Spirit, mm-hmm. bearing witness with our spirit that mm-hmm. we're the sons of God. It's mm-hmm. His job to affirm and to assure and to you know, uh, give us assurance of our salvation. Mm-hmm. So when people come to me, um, I always have to recognize, because it was me for 25 years, this person may need to be born again. Mm-hmm. So I always direct them to the Scriptures, Amen. not to a prayer they prayed mm-hmm. or a feeling they had or a certain time of the year. I've heard people said, you know, I, this happened. I, I, I saw a rainbow. I heard chimes, all this superstitious stuff that people point to or heaven forbid, I know I'm saved because my mom told me I was. She was there the day I was at VBS and prayed that prayer. My goodness. Uh, but it's, it's, it's ludicrous the things that people point to to say, I know I'm saved because of this. Search the scriptures and make sure that your salvation is indeed what the scriptures define salvation to be. And you really need look no further than the fruit. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, thistle bushes don't bring forth figs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not the nature of a thistle bush to bear a fig. Mm -hmm. It's the nature of a fig tree to bear figs. Mm -hmm. And you look at your life and compare it to Galatians chapter 5 and 1 John chapter 3 and see if those righteous fruits of the Spirit, they're called the fruits of the Spirit, are there. Mm -hmm. And be honest with God, and the Lord will show you. And by the way, just before I forget, the Lord laid it upon my heart to write a little book called Genuine Conversion because of this. And if anyone would like a copy of that book, we'll gladly send it to them if they'll just contact us and let us know they'd like to have it. And uh, at no charge, I'm not interested in selling that. I'd just like for them to have it if it would help them. But that's what I would say, brother. I would warn anybody from false assurance. Mm-hmm. Draw your assurance from the written Word of God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And on that note, I think we've kind of reached a good uh, ending point. Thank you so much, Brother Jonathan, for sharing that with us. And again, our hope and prayer is that somebody listening would uh, would be converted, Amen. ultimately. And uh, we'll come with join with us uh, next time, and we'll take a look at uh, the call to pastor. Thank you for listening to The Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.